Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance his kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. So we are on chapter four of our book of Philippians study. And how many of you were here all four, including this one, have been here for all four of the messages? Thank you so much for committing to being here. That's a big deal, making all of them and not having to catch up. And um, it's, it's awesome to see faithful people. Um, and I want you to know before I jump in, it is an honor and a privilege for me to pastor such a great group of people. You know, when I look around and, you know, I feel like I've connected with most or I've had a conversation with most, if I haven't talked to you, it's not personal. That's my goal Stick around just a little bit. Come and introduce yourself to me. Um, but you guys are what makes Harvest Time great. Look to your left and look to your right. Can we give everybody a hand clap for all of the people that really make Harvest Time great? This is so much more. It's so much more than just a Pastor Noe thing, right? Or a worship team thing. It is an us thing. And we contribute to that. So I'm just going to give you a quick summary background of the book of Philippians if you missed the first week. Um, so this book of Philippians was written by Paul while he was in prison. It was called the Prison Letters. And the, the theme concept of all of these chapters is to, to count it all joy, to rejoice, to, to realize that the circumstances of life are just a perspective. But there can be a different reality while you survive through these hard situations. So he was, he was sick, and, a, and a, or a gentleman was sick who got sent to check on Paul. And so Epaphrodites, he actually took this letter that we're reading today, took it back to the Philippian church, and guess what? That's how we got this book of Philippians. He wrote it while he was in prison, and uh, we get to really glean from that today. But it's interesting enough to remind you that Paul was in prison when he said, rejoice and count it all joy. Now... Everyone sitting here today, you are not imprisoned, you are not in jail, you're in church. So if anybody can count it all joy, I hope it's you today, okay? So we're going to jump right into this chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we're going to look at first, and this is just unity between two individuals in the church. Starting in verse 4, I'm going to jump right, it says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm this in the, in the Lord, my beloved, I entreat you, you, I always mess up these names, man. If the names weren't here, I'd be a great English communicator. Who, who can pronounce this for me? Or what do you think it says? He straight up said Hispanic, Mexican, Udia. It ain't Udia, I promise. But I can say Udia if that's what it was in Spanish. Okay. And then speak to my what? Stick to my roots. Say it like a Hispanic guy. And, and then this other one is Sintanchi is the best way that I can come up with. There you go with that. So it says for both of these individuals to agree in the Lord. And it says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement. That's an easy one. And the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. So when we look at this passage, he has continual compassion and concern for the church. You know, if I'm in prison, I might have some selfish motive. I might be worrying about myself, trying to, you know, self-survive. But he is always concerned about the, the, the church in Philippi. 
You see this passion, you see this, it says love and longing for. This is deep compassion. So it's really cool to see this dynamic between the, you know, Paul and the church. You know, and I want to continue to reiterate, do we have that kind of love for each other? Where when someone's at home, let's say you know someone home this morning who's sick. You know, are they rejoicing and are there, is there a relationship? Are we checking on them? And, you know, are, you know are, are, we, are we sharing the same kind of love and affection for each other as Paul did? It says, my joy and my crown. Do you, so it brings Paul pleasure, and, and he's proud of the church. You know, much like I am, I'm proud of our church. I'm proud of our people. You know, I'm proud to be called Harvest Time up to this point, so don't let me down, okay? Uh, you know, when, when, we, when we talk about Harvest Time, I feel like that, you know, we are a church who is genuine, who is seeking God. Are, are we, do we have issues in drama? Absolutely, but that doesn't necessarily define the overall culture of the church. It doesn't involve, it doesn't necessarily define our heartbeat, um, but we're real, we're raw, we're genuine, but we're family and we're okay with that, right? You know, so there, there is this dynamic of, of this joy and this privilege. And, you know, I talk with individuals all the time that uh, worked with me at STP before I started pastoring full-time. I said, well, how's it going? I said, man, I tell them it's a job, but it's a calling more so than just a job. But I said, man, it's the best job I ever had. I said, I don't know the last time I clocked in or clocked out. You know, it's one of those things. I said, it's just a different kind of job, but it is just a pleasure and it is an honor. And I feel like I feel a little bit of what Paul felt when I see people using their giftings and, and callings. And I sit back and I am a worship guy and I sit here and watch the worship team just excel in their gifts and callings and people stepping up and excited, you know, people coming to the knowledge of Jesus and then moving forward with that. I mean, to me, it is just no greater joy um, so I guess I'd have to be in prison to really get the great, the, the two-sided perspective, but I do see where that joy and that crown uh, of just being honored to, to see the church and be connected with the church that Paul comes from. So he talks to, he says to these two individuals to agree. Now, when we talk about agreement, um, it means to be of the same mind, think the same way. What he was saying, whatever disagreement is among you, Agree. Now, there are things like that sometimes in the church or within the culture of a church where there's just things. And usually, you know what, guys? They're usually nitpicky things. They're not really things that are doctrinally deep or maybe, well, somebody, I heard somebody might have been talking about me the other day or something. It's just like, do you know that? Well, I don't know. Did you go talk to them? Well, no. Well, how do you know that? You don't know that. Right. You know, assumptions of, of what we think happened is not always really what happens. Right. So, you know, there, there's sometimes little things that we just have to agree to. First and foremost, guys, fight for the unity of the church. And this is what he was saying. Fight for the unity because he knew, he knew if the leaders are divided, guess what? It creates a divided church. There's no way. So like if me and my, my pastoral staff and my leaders and our associate pastors and all of those things, if we are at strife and we are in discord, guess what? It's going to be real hard for y'all to feel the love, to feel united, to feel. But what he's saying here says, whatever the, whatever the disagreement, agree on it. And then he goes on to say, he uses this word, true companionship. And he's talking about the church. And in, this word in the Greek actually has a picture tied to it of two oxen of yoke pulling the same load, going the same direction. Now, we have to realize that's what it's really like. You know, if you are yoked together with somebody else and one wants to go left and one wants to go right, it is a bad day. Because normally you can only go what? Forward or backwards. 
That's your only options. But I think a lot of us sometimes, well, I want to go left. I want to go right. What he's saying is whatever the, the disagreements are, whatever the frustration is, be unified, be of one mind. Now, if you both agree to go backwards, great. But it's preferred probably depending on what it is that both of you agree to what? Move forward. But the option is not I'm going to go this way and I'm going to go this way. That wasn't even an option. So it says also help these leaders as they fight for this unity, not allowing a potential division to come in between them. So there is a role in the leadership, but there is also a role in the church that we fight for unity, not just in the pastoral positions, but also in the church positions. That, that we encourage that, that, um, that we support that, that we fight for that. And it says, don't forget Clements and the rest of my fellow workers. And it says, all of these co-workers' names are written in the book of life. So these are believers, these are Christians, these are followers of Christ. But I really believe this, these are the leaders of the church. These are the ones that co-labored with Paul that are continually making the decisions and leading the church while he is absent. Um. Unity requires both parties to give. Now, I tell you what, if we will make our focus point that which is Scripture and that which is right and not opinion and convenience and what I want, but what is best and required for all, we'll really get somewhere. It's the moment where we, where we, where we focus on what I want or what I need or what I think that kind of makes us miss the big per, uh, perspective. All right, so if we keep going through this, uh, we look at, now we're in Philippians 4, 4 through 9. So this is an area of exhortation and encouragement. So it is, it is a focus on joy and trust and nobility of thought. So I'm gonna read, read 4 through 9 to you. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, uh, we mentioned last week where there was a previous finally. This verse 8, this finally is the final finally. Okay? So this, he's closing. He's wrapping it up. He's giving the church some final thoughts. But this theme that we talk about starting in, in this first verse 4 is that you know, he says, rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. So it's kind of like, hey, rejoice in the Lord. Okay, you didn't get it. Okay, everybody, please rejoice in the Lord. I've said it three times, three rejoices. That, and it, it, was an, it was an emphasis to hope that there was actually a rejoicing in. It wasn't just a passing phrase, but it was an encouraged, practiced phrase. So rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. Okay. So, 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 so that, that was the response that Paul was trying to get. I don't know if it went over like the first one or the second one. But he wanted the, the people to rejoice uh, in whatever circumstance. So anytime, you know, something is said once, how many of you know it's important? But when he says it again, back to back, again I say rejoice, we want to focus on those things. It's communicated twice to us. So we need to hear that. 
that we are to rejoice. In verse 5, he goes into this word. He uses this word reasonableness. Now, if we're not careful, reasonableness to me and reasonableness to you can be in two different camps. They can have two different perspectives. What you think is reasonable may not be what I think is reasonable. So we always need to have a reasonable basis based on Scripture or, or what is unifying and not, and not based on what is causing discord and strife and separation. Okay? So it says, this, this, your gentleness should be evident to all. When we talk about that word reasonableness, your gentleness should be evident to everyone. Shouldn't be like, so when we think about church culture, or we think about who is harvest time, what's normal here, what's the vibe, what's the feeling that people get. Um, I hope there is gentleness, there's acceptance, there's love, there's grace, there's forgiveness. Now, if I flip-flop those words, it could get ugly quick, right? Discord and hatred and jealousy and holding a grudge and not forgiving. Oh, man, we don't want that, right? When we talk about that reasonableness, so graciousness with humility encompasses the heart behind this, that we have graciousness with humility. Now, how many of you sometimes are in short supply of releasing grace to someone? But how many of you want that same grace when you're in the hot seat? So that, that's, that's, that's how I always try to respond. It's like, what kind of grace would I want to receive before I dish out a spirit of not giving grace, right? I said, what would I, how would I want? Now, I'm a grace, forgiving, no consequences. I, man, I want to just not be held account, not accountable, but I, I don't want to be judged. I don't want to be ridiculed. Like, I'm probably working through something, and I need grace. I don't need the law. I don't need a reprimand. I don't need a, like, how should you know better? No, I know better. Most of us know better, Right? God willing, we know better, you know, that, that, that we are to respond in, in an avenue of grace and humility, but with the same response that we would want given to us. That's the heart. That's the motive. That's what we should be doing. That balance of graciousness with humility encompasses the heart of reasonableness. Keep, keeping a healthy balance, not too much grace, but not too much law. Right? There's rules, there's guidelines. And I'll tell you what, if you would really obey what Scripture says, you wouldn't get yourself in the position you probably got yourself into. You sure, Pastor? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. There's something in here that if you would have been obedient or, or did or didn't do, it would have kept you on the mark because that's what the Word of God does. So we want to make sure that we respond with grace, but we do encourage, this is the standard, here's the expectation, all right, let's get to the standard and get to the expectation. You know, even when you're hitting the standard, that we still respond in grace and humility. You know, sometimes, guys, we can put so much pressure on other people that it almost causes them to stumble. Because they feel like they cannot fail, they cannot mess up, there is not, there's, not, there's not the grace to just be free to be real and vulnerable and raw. But in that being vulnerable, that being raw, that being able to just share your heart in confidence with, with that gentleness and that reasonableness and that humility, it helps us all become better. I know a lot of times, you know, I'm gonna say outside the church, but outside the church, sometimes we put on a mask of what we're going through and someone might ask you, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Liar, right, you know? It's not, really, it's not really like it is. You're like, it's great. It's Monday. Happy to be alive, right? You know, like, go, seen it all. Man, it's awesome. You know? In the church, I hope that we are able to reveal a little bit more of who we really are. 
Now, I'm not saying with everyone, but finding those in the church. Maybe you went to lunch or you began to establish some relationship with others in the church. And really, that's the big picture of what God wanted the church to be. But there's a little bit of vulnerability. There's a little bit of trust. There's a little bit of exposure through the avenue of being reasonable, of releasing grace, encouraging to what the standard of the Bible expects, but also giving the same grace and approaching with humility just like you would want them to approach you. That'll calm you down a lot, I promise. So let me tell you what, if you're mad or you're frustrated, your first response, don't do that. Figure out what you would do after you take a few breaths. All right? That ain't wisdom. That's, that's, revel- that's something I've walked through. So just give you that. Verse 5, this is where I really like this passage. really, really starts getting good. He starts off by saying, the Lord is at hand. What is he saying there? The Lord is near. And then, there, there, then there's a semicolon there, which means it's a continuation of a statement. It's not a period. So what he is tying together is the Lord is at hand. Therefore, do not be anxious about anything. The moment that I know that the Lord is near, all of my anxiety and anxious thoughts should be removed. You know, it's like the fishermen that were in the boat. They were freaking out, but Jesus was under the deck sleeping. Now, I've served God long enough. Now, I don't know if I would respond in faith or fear, but I'll tell you what. If I'm seeing Jesus under the deck sleeping on a pillow, it's going to be okay. If he's not concerned, I'm not concerned. Now, if Jesus is up on the deck running around, freaking out, oh, <laughs> like what do we, that's the time to panic, right? But it says, I am near, he is at hand. So this is a continuation statement. He is near, so don't be anxious about anything. But then he gives us a response, but he says, respond with prayer and supplication, supplication with thanksgiving. When the Lord is near, anxiety has to go. Most of the time we're anxious because the Lord is far away or we haven't invited him into the situation or we haven't realized where he is in the situation. But he says, realize first and foremost that the Lord is near. Be anxious about nothing. Don't be anxious. And, and I really, I think that that really gives us a, we are without excuse because I think we can justify what we're anxious about, but that's not what the scripture encourages. Says, don't be anxious about anything, but you don't understand. Hey, if he said it and he encouraged it, it's possible. But then what is the response? He says, first pray, then have supplication, and then thanksgiving. Now, what this means, this passage is really telling the Lord what you need. Now, how many of you have, okay, there's other two camps. There's either some of you that have a hard time praying selfish prayers because you feel like it's wrong to ask for things for yourself, so you pray about everyone else, but you don't pray about yourself. Then there's the other camp that you are so infatuated with self that all of your prayers come back to you. Don't tell me which one you are, but... In this prayer, he is saying, tell the Lord what you need. Tell him where you're struggling. Tell him what, what, what the, the, the concerns of your heart. Tell the Lord what you need. So he says, pray. This is talking with God. This is communication. This is making your requests known. Now, how many of you have heard the saying, well, why do I need to ask God what I have need of? He already knows everything. Been there? 
So you don't ask for anything because you assume that he is just gonna move based on what you think rather than what you say. There is something about praying out in words that gets God moving. There's power that happens when you speak. Now, let me encourage you. God does know your thoughts. He does know the motives of your heart. He does know everything. But let me tell you about what communicating something out of your mouth does. First and foremost, it reminds God in case he forgot or in case we feel like he forgot. You ever been there? Lord, ding, 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 I'm here again. I need some help. But you know what it does? It also lets the enemy hear what you're saying. When you say, Lord, I'm going to make it. Lord, I thank you for your promises. Lord, I thank you for your blessing and your provision. Lord, I rebuke the devourer. Guess what? It is putting the enemy in his place. The enemy does not know your thoughts, your minds, or, or the intents of your heart. God does. So when I speak things out according to God's perfect plan and perfect will, God hears them, he responds to them, but it also communicates authority to the devil. Because when you speak it out, now he can hear it. When you begin to speak it out, that authority binds him. Now, when we are silent, it kind of releases him to have his way in our life. So begin to speak out those words boldly and according to his word. Tell the Lord what you need. Um, Do you know some of the most powerful prayers are the ones that line up with God's perfect plan for us and his perfect will? God is just waiting for you to make those requests to him. John 14, 13 through 14, it says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, uh, that my father may be glorified in the son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, a lot of other people like to say, Lord, make me a millionaire. Lord, pay my taxes. Lord Jesus, change these kids before I put some hands on them. Like, I don't know. <laughs> that, that we think it's just a blanket thing. And, and you, know, you know what God's response is in most of this stuff? I've given you the grace to endure it or the back to provide for it. You know, we think it should just come easy with no work, but we know that we reap what we sow, that if we are diligent and we work hard and we strive to make a living, most of the time, you know what, guys, it works out. Those that are lazy and slothful and don't want to do anything or looking for a free handout, they usually get what they put in, right? Things that are hard, that are difficult. Like like if God has given you and graced you with children, he has given you the grace to raise them and not kill them. Okay, you hear that on your bad days. I'm talking when you're losing your stuff and you're like, Lord God, just you need to, you need to change them. And God's what he's really doing. He's wanting to change you. Right, so God's perfect will. He knows what he's doing in more things than you're aware of. But when we pray things according to his will, we see them come to pass. And that's what we gotta realize. Most of the time we're stuck in our will. We're We're not paying attention to God's will. So if we pray according to his will, it shall be done. How do I know what that is? I keep my heart yielded to the Father. I spend time with him often. I know what's important to God. I know what the scripture says about discipline, about structure in my kid's life. You know, there's a passage in here that says, spare the rod, spoil the child. You can interpret that however you want. That sounds like whooping kids. (laughs) Well, I talk to them. I put them in the corner and I tell them, you know what you did, little Johnny? Yeah, I know what you did. Sit there and I'll be back. I mean, I guess. There's something about the rod of correction, man, that will get to the root of the heart, okay? And I know we're in, a, we're in a dangerous culture. Well, it's abuse, CPS. I can't do that. I got to treat them like an adult. Good luck with that. I've learned the rod works. 
and my kids still love me. All right. Got to know that. You kids acting out of control, sometimes it's our own fault. I'll wash my hands of that. I'm going to move on, okay? God will give you grace for whatever you're going through. So we want to pray. The word supplication, what does supplication mean? You know, I read that word, it's like a weird word. Okay, here's the definition of what supplication is. The action of asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. It's falling on your knees in supplication. This isn't just saying, Lord, I really could use a breakthrough or Lord, I really need. This is with urgency, asking, begging, rendering the heavens, saying, God, if you don't come through. Lord, if you don't show me what to do, if you don't change this in my heart, if you don't provide the answer, I don't. I mean, this is urgent. This is not just like, hey, you know, help me have a good day. And Lord, bless the lunch my wife provided for me and help me have a good day. This is this is like big stuff. This is this is this is taking it to another level. But let me tell you what. What what did it say? It says be anxious about nothing. So let's tie these together real quick. When you are anxious or you are stressed or you are fearful or you don't know the outcome, it kind of turns the heat up on the prayer scale, right? When things are going good and there's no worries and there's no wake, kicking the boat all around, it's good. You're like, oh, Lord, thank you for your beauty all around. Life is just good. When there's money in the bank, we don't pray. How many of you know when the heat gets turned up? And things get difficult. This, this is the supplication. This is pleading. This is asking God. You know, God really wants to take care of his children. That is his heart. He doesn't want you to do without. He doesn't want you suffering. He doesn't want you. Now, I think there's a measure of sacrificing for Christ. You know, uh, man, I, I think it's, it's interesting that sometimes people say, Lord, I pray you just provide. They get offered a job. Well, it's too, it was minimum wage. It wasn't enough, so I'm not going to do that. Lord, I pray you just would provide. And I'm like, Lord Jesus, you ask for something. It's not what you want, but yet it meets the need of where you're at. You know, don't, don't, you know I think you just have to trust God for where he's at. You know, I, th- I think we're just looking, we're looking for God to do something in a way that we don't want to do it. You know, there's this joke about this guy that was stranded on the top of a roof. You know, and he needed to be rescued. He said, Lord, send somebody to rescue me. So a little guy came by in a boat, said, hey, come on. He said, no, 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 I'm waiting on the Lord. No, I'm praying. Wasn't how he thought. So the boat left, said, okay, buddy, ignorant. And he left, you know. Then a bigger boat came by. Hey, man, we're here. This is the last chance. The water's getting high. No, 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 I'm waiting on the Lord. Water's rising. More time sensitive now. That wasn't enough. A helicopter comes. Hey, grab the rope. This is the last chance. The water's almost up and it's going to kill you. No, no, no. I'm waiting on the Lord. The guy doesn't get the rope. He dies. He goes to heaven. Lord, I was praying. He said, buddy, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. But we don't see what God's doing because we're looking for something else. So when we pray, we have to pay attention to what immediately follows that prayer because it may be the answer to what you've been praying. You just didn't see it like that. But in those moments of supplication, of asking, of begging, you are waiting for a breakthrough. Trust God to be faithful in that because it's in the trusting that I can get away from the anxiety. I say, God's going to come through. I'm just waiting on it, man. So then I get the binoculars. I'm looking for the first boat. Man, it's a sketchy looking boat. But hey, I prayed. There it is. 
Hope we make it to shore, right? You know, I think, that, but I think we judge that sometimes. We don't just trust God immediately. But when we've been praying and adding supplication to that, pay attention to what happens next. All right? And this, is, this next part's really, really good. He says, with thanksgiving. Now, how many of you know it's awesome to be thankful once you've received something? But it's so much more powerful when we can be thankful before we receive what we've asked for. In confidence, knowing that God will come through after I've prayed and I've, and, and, and I've asked him through supplication that I can say, Lord, I thank you that you're sending that relief. I thank you that you're providing for what I have need of. Lord, I thank you, God, that you promised to bless and take care of me. Lord, I thank you and I just wait on you expectantly. So what are you thankful for? You ain't even got it yet because I know my God is faithful. I know my God is good and he will not. And and you know what? I guess this is the place that I'm at. This is radical. You may say, Pastor, that's dumb. Worst case, if I die, I go to heaven. Worst case. You're like, man. But think about it. Worst case, it's a win. This was always Paul's perspective in everything. That's why he could give thanks while he's in prison. Probably pretty anxious about a few things. You know, pastors have a bad habit of worrying about the church when they're not here. You know, and is everything okay? Is everybody going to be all right? And, you know, he had a pastor, pastor's heart. So he had a lot of things to be anxious about that he could do nothing about. He was separated from the church. He was separated from his family. He was separated from everybody. He was in prison. I'm sure there was some anxiety knocking on the door. But that's his response. He says, pray with supplication and thanksgiving. This next part he goes into, he says, the peace of God in verse 7. It says that it surpasses all understanding. What does that mean? Did you get that? All understanding. This means when you are experiencing God's peace, you may not necessarily know what's going on or understand it, but that's okay. Just rest within it. Bigger than your mind. Well, I don't understand where this peace is coming from. Man, that sure sounds like the peace that surpasses understanding that you can just rest in and that you can dwell in. But it gives us actually instruction. It says that the peace that surpasses understanding actually guards us. What does it guard? It guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So our hearts, the heart is the epicenter of our, of our being. Okay, so in, in Matthew 15, 18 through 19, just to make you aware, it says, but whatever comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and it defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. So the next time you say, well, just trust your heart, better evaluate your heart. Now, I believe that your heart can be transformed by God and renewed to where your heart is actually driven by those things that honor God rather than despise God. But that says those things come out of the heart. So what happens as a Christian, he says he takes our heart of stone that is yielding all of these things. And he gives us a heart of flesh. He gives us his heart. So once he gives us a new heart, what do we need to do? Protect it. We need to guard it. We need to make sure that nothing else begins to, to defile what, that which has been made holy. We got to make sure it stays pure. It stays right. This is what the peace of God does. It releases that protection It says our minds. How many of you know that the minds are the battlefield of your life? You know, things are often won or lost in the mind. 
It, it, it's, it's amazing to me, Ephesians 6, 17, it says, the helmet of salvation. Your mind is so crazy sometimes, you can gain your salvation in your mind and you can lose your salvation in your mind. You know, I, the mind is crazy. I had a crazy dream that I was debating with this other church trying to change their doctrine and all of this stuff. And then, and then it was like, I saw my bar of soap and I was like, I love this bar of soap. And I woke up. That's right here between these two. I was like, do I need to get up and take a shower or like what? You know, and I was, I woke up frustrated and I was like, this is so dumb. The mind, you know, I woke up. I was like, thank you, Lord. That was a dream. And going toe to toe with another denomination, I was like, oh, Jesus. And the bar of soap saved me, you know, but what I'm, yeah, I'm using that. The mind is crazy. I mean, but sometimes fear or insecurity, it will just, it will, it will, it will fight against yourself. But it says, put on the helmet of salvation. This is where we instill what we believe and what we stand for and what we know is true. How do we guard it? By the word. How do we guard it? By releasing the peace of God in our lives that will guard our hearts and mind. How is it guarded? How is it protected? In Christ Jesus. So this is the gift of God that is given through Jesus. We are to dwell in this spirit of peace. How many of you are guilty of, of trying to find peace in other things? And you never get there. Because peace is truly only found in Jesus. It's only found in resting assured that he will take care of all of your needs. Anything that you have need of. It's found in him. It's resting in who he is rather than... than it's resting in, in, in who he is rather than other things in your life. At verse 8, he gets to the finally, finally. He says, all of these things, think about these things. So the things that we think about tend to, the things that help us or hurt us. But this is what he says. He says, think about these things. Things that are what? True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. Not things that are false, crooked, unfair, adulterated, ugly, disgraceful, bad, and disapproved things. Where did that list come from? I just picked the opposite. And sometimes we are guilty of mulling through list two, not list one. So it's one thing to think about these things. It's another thing to apply these things. What does it look like? To look at things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. Verse 9, he says, What you have learned, what you have received, what you have heard, and what you have even seen in me, practice them. Do you know it's hard to excel in anything without practicing? How many of you have ever tried to play golf and you quit? That's it. You never played golf. I mean, it's, it's, it's a sport that you can love or hate, but till you get the hang of it, that little ball is from the pit of hell. I remember playing a real little course, and I would, man, I don't even know how it's physically possible. Right here, ball goes this way, like 90 degrees the wrong way. But let me tell you what, golf with practice actually gets to be a little bit of fun when you can generally control where it's going. But that's just one of many, many examples to get really good at it. What do you have to do? have to practice. You have to put the work in. You can't just show up one day and be like, hey, man, I'm going to go to the PGA and I'm going to show these guys what's up. <laughs> it just doesn't work like that. It doesn't matter what kind of putt-putt extravaganza you are. You play a real game of golf, 
It's a whole nother monster, but you have to put the work in. But it says what? Practice these things. Put into practice those things that you've learned, those things that you've received, those things that you've heard, those things that you have seen put into practice. I hope that after going through this whole book of the Bible, there are, there's a list of things that you can apply and that you can practice and that you can implement. If we get out of this series, you're like, Pastor, I just don't know what to do. I'm just kind of seeking the Lord. Go back and read these chapters. He gives us a roadmap of things we should do, things we should imitate, things we should focus on, that we should rejoice. Like, I mean, there is just an unraveling list. All right? So let's, let's wrap this up. Philippians 4, 10 through 20. So this is his final response, uh, thanking for financial assistance. So verse, starting verse 10, it says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, and, and that now at length you have received, that, that you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be uh, brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except only you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I am seeking the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphrodites the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So this is his final response, but Paul was glad that, that he was of concern to the church in Philippi. That is a good feeling as a pastor if I'm not here for some reason and people check on me. Hey, you all right? Hopefully I'm on vacation, right? And, you know, something's not going on or whatever, but, you know, uh, you know I hope that that's the case, that there's that mutual concern. You know, he, he was also communicating thanks for meeting all of his needs, Um. So in verse 11, let's highlight this because I really think this is a good nugget in this passage. He says, I have learned what it means to be content. Now, let me tell you what. Being content is a key that unlocks so many great things in your life. You know, most of us are broken in debt because of a lack of contentment. Like we say, well, I want this or, hey, I need new shoes. No, you don't need new shoes. You want new shoes. Says my 20 pair of shoes in my closet. Telling you, this is, this is, I'm telling you from a person, I don't need new shoes, I want new shoes, right? But I'm not content with what I have. I'm not, you know, I want the next bigger best. Uh, I was watching a commercial the other day. They straight up sold me a stuffed crust pizza. I, 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 I was, Becky was sleeping, I almost woke her up. Papa John's, man, they had like two or three commercials. I was like, man, I'll never get pizza from them. We're about to start, right? Uh, so there, there's times that we're distracted, but, you know, that's like, but I, I should be content with the $5 Little Caesars, right? Not after that commercial. I know where my priorities lie, but, uh, but not, you guys getting this? Not being, con being content. There's so many things that we don't need, but we convince ourselves that we need, and it's just a crazy cycle. It's a bottomless pit, right? So we gotta learn to be content. So what was he saying? From prison, he was content with whatever the road before him was gonna look like. 
He had known what it was meant to be brought low, which meant he knew what it meant to be in need. Now, if you've ever been in that position where you don't know and, you know, I'm talking basic needs not being met. I can say, thank God I've not ever been that low. Thank God for that. But if you've experienced that, man, praise God if that's not where you are today. But he says, I've learned what it means to be in need. He said, I've also learned what it means to live in abundance with having plenty. So he says, I have learned the secret in verse 12 to be content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And do you know what the secret was? Through the strengthening that came from Christ alone, surviving every single condition that it was going to be achievable. And that's where we get that passage, in all things, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Notice, Paul was talking about being hungry or well-fed, having a lot or having nothing. Now, we got to be careful because we will use that scripture out of context and use it for whatever we want. I can do all things in Christ. I can jump off this building and Jesus is going to catch me. I can do all things in Christ. Good luck with that. What he was talking about here is God will sustain the strength within me regardless of the outcome of any phase, hill, or valley of life. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you're on the hilltop. I don't know if you're in the valley, but his grace will sustain you. He will take care of you. You can make it in Christ. That's what he was saying. So he continues to say thank you to the church in uh, Philippi, he says, you shared in my troubles. You were the only church that partnered with me. You helped me not once, but you helped me again. So it was a, it was a support system of continual help, of continual encouragement. You sent me the, you sent me Epaphrodites with the gift. So the, the gift, let's look how he explains the gift. He says, the gift is a fragrant offering. It's a sacrifice and it's acceptable and pleasing to God. That means it was probably a pretty good gift right? Pretty good gift. It says it was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And it says, because of this, God will supply your every need because you have taken care of me. You know, there's a principle of sowing and reaping. And I believe that the church is built to where when I go through a rough spell, there's others that are going to help. When you go through a rough spell, there's others that can help. And those are some of the benefits that I really think were scriptural and biblical that, you know, we look in the book of Acts, they, man, they compiled everything they had and there was plenty for everybody to meet all their needs. And it said nobody lacked anything. That didn't mean that nobody went through a hard time or lost their job or could make it. says that nobody went with lack. But that's what complete contribution looks like. That's what it, when everybody gets involved looks like. But when we take care of others, we know that God will take care of me. And I, and I pray that, Lord, I pray that you would provide and supply everything that I have need of. I pray that often. I don't know what the need is, but I tell you what, my perspective is bigger than just myself. I want to be able to give. My wife gets mad at we've been doing this Dave Ramsey thing. Anytime I spend any extra money, I gave some money away for a good cause the other day. And she's like, you gave away our money? I was like, uh, conflict. <laughs> it's like Dave Ramsey or anytime I see a niche, she's like, that wasn't budgeted. I was like, we better find a budget category. I just already gave it away. But my heart, guys, is for us to get beyond ourselves and to begin to see the needs around us. I talked about serving in the church. That's one way that you can get outside of yourself. Just don't come to, to, for yourself, but come and figure out how can we bless others. When we talk about giving sacrificially to others or, or meeting a need, 
I don't know if you've done this in a while, but God, if God has blessed you, maybe take care of the, the, the meal of the person behind you. Man, I know when that happens to me, it, you know, it's a blessing. It's like, man, oh, who paid? I started looking around. Who paid for? Go back, go back around trying to figure out who it is. And that happened to me one time that they paid for my meal. So you know what I did? I paid for the one behind me. And you keep, you keep this thing going of just blessing and you, and you learn the secret of it is so much more blessed to give than it is to receive. When I have a lot, I will be content. When I don't have much, I will be content. That's what Paul was saying, but he was also thanking the church for their contribution, for their involvement in the big picture of what it was really, really supposed to look like. And then he concludes giving glory, he says, to our God, our Father, glory forever and ever. And this is really just to ascribe adoration and gratitude to God for his character and his continual faithfulness. Paul had a good perspective of always giving God honor. You know, these guys were crazy. They would celebrate when hardship would come. And that's not always easy. You know, the, you know I, had a, I had a pastor friend that I went to, uh, that I went to a, a class with in Baton Rouge, and I just saw on his Facebook page that a storm ripped the roof off and the whole church was flooded with two or three inches of water. Man, you know what that dude's response was? Now, I don't know what his original response was. Because I'm going to probably be frustrated and say, Lord, but he says, man, you know what? God must be up to something great. As he walked around in his rubber boots with three inches of water in every room of the building. He kept his eyes focused on what God's plan and what God's agenda was. And it didn't matter. You know, and I think that that's the perspective. We can get so caught up on stuff that we can miss the big perspective. Do you realize if this building was gone and we still had the land, we could meet and gather together without anything and still have church? And so he's like, thank God for the chairs and the AC. What happens when it gets hot? It'd be a little uncomfortable. But the big picture, the things that Paul was talking about could not be stolen from him. They were forever secured where? In his heart. Could never be taken away. Thank God for the blessings and the provision. But we need to be thankful for the things we already have. And be content with where we are right now. Any of y'all struggling with that right now? You say, Pastor, I'm having a hard time being content with where I'm at. Can you be honest with me? God knows right where you're at. And he has a plan. He hasn't derailed. He's really probably sleeping in the bottom of your boat and you're losing your stuff. You're like, Lord, what are you doing? And you, if you look, if he is sleeping, be patient. Hunker down and hold on. But when the master arises, if you wake him up or if he wakes up, listen to what he tells you to do next. Because he's going to wake up. Like I said, he's either going to get involved or you're going to force him to get involved. Wake up, we're going to die. He's like, I was sleeping good. You know, thinking about all the things of the kingdom and he gets woken up. But I tell you what, he will cause the storms of life to cease. But I tell you what, always be mindful. If God is in the boat, it's going to be okay. If you look around and Jesus is not in the boat, that is when I would fear and fret. So whatever you're going through, wherever you're at in your life, invite the spirit of God into that situation. If you have not done also, what did it say? It said, the Lord is near. 
Therefore, be anxious about nothing. The closer Jesus is to you, the more content and the more confident you will be. But you got to ask him to come close. You might need to go sit by him. Right? Philippians 4, 21 through 23. Final greetings. It says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with, with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Be with your spirit. What he's saying? One more thing. Tell everybody hi. How sophisticated is that? That's all he's saying. Tell everybody hi. And now this final part, this was Paul's final signature. He says, and the grace of the Lord be with you all. He says that over and over and over in many other books that he's written uh, in the Bible. That was his final signature. I always laugh at my signature. If you ever see me send you anything, it says blessings, Pastor Noe. That is my signature. I was like, I wonder if I should change that. It's kind of getting old. That's my signature. If you think somebody's like, you know, sending it on my behalf and they don't say blessings, it's probably an imposter. But I said blessings and like sometimes I put bless. You guys be blessed. Blessings. Pastor, I was like too much blessings. Let me delete this one. I already said blessings. It was just his signature was his, 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 you know, in loving consideration to the fullest blessing. It was just his final signature. So let's look at these final principles that we can apply from this last chapter. Number one, agree and help each other in the ministry. I don't know what that looks like for you. If you're on a ministry team, then help on that ministry team. If you're in a church, help the church as a whole succeed in ministry. You know, I don't think we always realize the, the, the magnitude of what ministry can be. I hope you see yourselves as a co-minister in the house. That there are people that you sit by. There are people that you get to talk to before and after service. That you are commissioned as a minister in the house. So, agree and help each other in the ministry. Whatever that looks like. However you need to apply that. Number two, rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. Every situation. Praise God I get to get up for work. It's Monday morning. I'm so excited about life. Rejoice in the Lord. At least you got breath in your lungs and you got a job to go to. Find something to rejoice in. Lord, I thank you my car started. And at least I got a full tank of gas even though I don't like what I paid for it. Rejoice in the Lord that you can afford that gas. Maybe you can't afford that gas, but that you got gas in the tank, you can get to work. Rejoice. Always rejoice. Number three, don't be anxious about anything. I want you to pause just for a moment. Those of you in the room that have pinpointed what it is that is making you anxious, do not any longer be anxious in regards to that. God can free you of that right now as he draws near to you. Just like that communion cup that you threw in the trash. And do you know where that is right now? Are you really worried about that? Treat whatever you are anxious about the same way. Leave it in the bucket and don't take it with you when you go. It's up to you. you go, but it's as petty as go get your communion cup and dig it out of the trash take a week. Come on. God wants to free you of that. Do no longer in Jesus' name be anxious about anything. Because if he asks us to do it, he can make it, he can enable it within us. That's what we got to be mindful of. If God asks us to do it, he can do it in us. So don't be anxious about anything anymore. Number four, let God know what you need. This is, the, this is permission to, to pray selfish prayers. Lord, I don't know what to do in this. Give me wisdom. Lord, help me not kill all my fellow employees. Like, well, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm being real. I'm telling you, it can get ugly. You can have hatred towards your fellow employees and not see them as lost souls unto the kingdom yet. Come on. 
that hatred, that... Man, did that strike a note with somebody? You cannot love people and hate them at the same time. Ask God to change your heart towards those employees. Somebody knows who I'm talking about right now. You're like, oh, you don't understand. No, I understand. (laughs) I'm a preacher now. I don't have any problematic people. (laughs) Number five, let the peace of God protect you, protect your heart and your mind. Let the peace of God do the work. Just rest in it. Say, Lord, that peace that you promised, I'm just going to rest. I'm just going to stay right there in it. All right? Number six, practice things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. You say, Pastor, I'm practicing some things that aren't on that list. Get them out of your life. Remove those things. Don't practice those things. Quit giving them. They quit giving those things your attention and your time, but focus on these things. And lastly, number seven: be content in every situation, in every season. You guys, stand up with me. You know, American culture doesn't want us to stay content. You know, the devil of this world does not want you being content. But being a follower of Jesus and allowing him to meet all your needs, do you realize that it kind of creates this contentment with life? Because I realize that all my needs are already actually met according to his riches and goodness that are in Christ Jesus. We can thank Paul for that verse in there. He wrote it. All of my needs are being met. Thank you, God, for that. If you're in this church and your needs are not being met, you need to let me know. Let me know. Call me. We can help you. I'm talking about needs. I'm not talking about your new boat. I'm going to get my boat first. Just playing. Right? Because God has built family to rely on. He's built, the, he's built the church to depend on that all of our needs would be met. But I pray over my family, over me as the pastor of this church, I pray over my leadership that there would just be a mantle of blessing in this house. And you know what I believe for? That as it trickles down, that it would, it would, hit, it would hit the pastoral staff, it hit the leadership, but guess what? That thing would flow into the homes. And all of the people and families represented in this church, that there would be an abundance of blessing. Not so we can brag, but so we can bless the world and reach out to our community in a radical way. If you have never finished a book of the Bible, you can say you finished one. But I hope that you've seen the value of going through a whole book Line by line, verse by verse, keeping it in the context of what Paul was talking about. How many of you have seen the life-giving goodness of it? Start with the easy ones. Paul wrote a whole bunch of short ones. First and second, third John are pretty short also if you need a little encouragement. Book of Jude is actually less than one book. 
So I want to encourage you to be people of the word. Trust God. And let's be people that are educated with what the word says, okay? If I could never teach you again, would you learn to teach yourself? Well, pastor, I still need you. Okay, we want to grow. To the, to the place where I am supplementing your maturity and I'm helping you grow to the next level, but most of it is dependent on you. It says, do the things that you have heard and seen and practice those things. How many of you know right now something you need to do? There's been enough word or there's been enough things spoken. You know what you need to do. So I encourage you this week to do it. Let me pray over you. Lord, I thank you for each one here this morning, each family. Father, those I know in the room and those I don't, Lord, I pray just a mantle of blessing and provision. And Father, I thank you that you have given me authority to release that in this house. So Father, I pray for hope. I pray against anxiety. Lord, I thank you for a, a stress-free, care-free demeanor. Father, that, that focuses on, on rejoicing in the Lord in every single situation, in every season. And Father, I pray that even our children would see something in our life where they would say, Dad, why are you so excited? Mom, why are you so excited? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And Lord, we know that we have the victory and the authority. And Father, that we have the Spirit of God living living inside of us that will cause all things to work together for our good. Father, I pray that you would lead us out from this place in, in, in victory. Father, that things that have been broken off would remain and we would go and really be free to sin no more, to walk in the righteousness that only you can build and birth in us. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you for your church. Father, I thank you for the people in this church. And Father, that you will use us mightily to make a kingdom impact. Father, I thank you that we can co-labor with you and that we can count it a privilege to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Now, I bless each one as they go from this place. Father, I pray that we would be a light to the world. And Father, that we would just be a witness to all of those that we come in contact with. Lord, I thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This, this morning, if you have a special need, if you got a prayer request, we have prayer teams available. Uh, you say, Pastor, I came and I want a specific prayer about this specifically. We have those teams available to, to pray with you. As you go out, just if you'll get one or two of these invite cards and, and pray about who to give this to and, and just believe that God would just uh, move on their heart and maybe this will be the key that'll get somebody the opportunity to come to Jesus. We love you. Be blessed. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.